I hope we're going to have a great summer. And um, one of the things I'm excited about is, um, is, is looking at some of the characteristics about God. A lot of confusion in this world today about this God that we know and serve. A lot of confusion about which God is the, is the one true God. And so I want us to look through, uh, through the coming weeks, and I'm not sure how long I might go through this about God is, but each week we'll look at a different uh, character trait uh, or characteristic or, or part of his nature of, of this almighty God that we serve and hopefully that we love and that we worship together. And uh, today we begin by talking about the fact that God is sovereign. I think uh, as Rick and I sat down and we looked at how we would plan this together, uh, that's where we decided we would begin, that God is sovereign. And I think maybe that's the foundation upon which everything else we would learn about God and know about God is built, the fact that God is sovereign. And, and I think one of the things that's behind that um, is that, is that we, we, we ask a lot of why questions, don't we? And it's around the themes about if God is good, and we'll talk about that later on this summer too, then why do these things happen to us? Why do these things take place? You know, the why question in life is the most difficult to answer. The other questions like who, what, when, uh, where, and how are a whole lot easier to answer than why. Sometimes we ask the why question just simply out of curiosity. Uh, I remember the story of a, a kindergarten class that was um, uh, taking a tour of a, of a police department, and uh, they, they happened to notice uh, the, the most wanted fugitives there in their picture up on the bulletin board. And one of the little four-year-olds in the kindergarten asked one of the policemen, said, are those pictures of the bad guys that, that you all took? And he said, yes, they are, and said, um, our policemen would really like to catch those bad guys. And then the four-year-old said, well, why didn't you just keep them when you took their picture? So sometimes we ask that why question out of curiosity. Then we take it to the other end of the spectrum of life, and we ask it out of the pain and suffering and confusion of life, and sometimes out of the of natural calamities that take place. And out of all the sin that we see running rampant, the pain that we have to bear, the suffering that we have to endure, or that which we have to watch a loved one endure. And it's sometimes out of the seriousness of our pain that we cry out and we ask, why? Now, some of you are aware of the fact that this week my wife had, had a second hip replacement. Not to redo the other one, but the second hip. And I'm hoping that that's going to give her another measure of health and strength for many years to come. But basically, for, let's see, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, I spent that time at the hospital with her. And uh, with a little bit of interruption on Thursday morning, I had Mr. Kershaw Rose's funeral, and then I was back down at the, uh, at the hospital. And, and, and two of our ladies were in during the same time, and so I got to take a break and I'd go see them. Ms. Hazel Wise and Jerry Rogers were in at Richland as well. But, you know, when you spend those four days like that in the hospital, and you eat in the cafeteria, and you hear conversations with families in the elevator and in the cafeteria and in the hallways and in the waiting areas, you understand that there is a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of questions about why that are being asked about health and where is God and why would God allow these things to take place in our life. You see, when we move to that deeper level of why, you know, those, that's where we come to understand um, the sovereignty of God is so important in our life. The why questions are easy 
to ask. In fact, we're told that a, that a, that a preschool four-year-old child can ask 14 why questions in four minutes. Our third daughter, Emily Ann, has come in uh, to stay with Cookie for this week and to help out at home. She has three preschoolers with her. Can you imagine how many questions I get from two boys, one four, one two and a half? And how many I can get from two of them in four minutes' time? Why, Papa, why is it, you know, this and that and that? And half of them I can't even understand what they're asking. I have to ask Emily Ann, what did he say? You know? Why do we ask questions? Because we think questions were designed to be answered. And we kind of had that ingrained in us um, in, in school. That somebody put us up before the classroom and somebody called on us with a question and we were supposed to answer it. When we ask our wives, we expect God to answer us. Sometimes He does, sometimes He doesn't. Or at least in ways that we expect it to or want Him to. Many, many years ago, Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century evangelist, wrote about this issue of the sovereignty of God, and this is what he said. There is no attribute more comforting to His children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most uh, adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought to more earnestly contend to than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne, for it is God upon the throne whom we trust. You know, and that's the bottom line when we ask the questions, why, in relationship to the sovereignty of God. When we see all these things taking place, and we see pain and suffering in the world, and we endure it in our own life, that's the bottom line. God is upon the throne, and it is He in whom we must trust. Now, understanding the sovereignty of God is a great challenge. I can't answer all of those issues today. But through the Scripture, I want us to get an overview about the sovereignty of God, and then, on a practical level, how do we respond to that? Well, how, do we, how should we respond to the sovereignty of God? Uh, look, look at the Scripture with me today in Isaiah chapter 46. And I would, I would suggest that maybe you go back and, and look through Isaiah about chapter 43, own and just read some of these great words of affirmation that the prophet Isaiah gives us about God. But in Isaiah chapter 46, beginning in verse 4, reading through verse 11, we read these words. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am He. I am He who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it in its place, and there it stands, and from that spot it cannot move. Though one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, 
from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a land, from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. When I read these words and hear these words, you know, I, I just get a heartbeat with God that says God is passionate about his name and who he is, about his identity. And it's an interesting contrast that he makes there about who he is and the various idols that in that time others had set up uh, to, to worship as a God. And he makes the distinct uh, comparison there that he distanced himself from these gods. You know, call on these gods, and they don't answer you. They can't save you. They can't do anything else for you. But he says, I am the sovereign God. I am the God. I created you. I, I will sustain you. And we know that there's basically a salad bar of, of religions in our world today. And they all have their own little system and their own little concept about God. But we need to understand that our God is not just one option out of many, but that we worship the one true God. We worship the God who has made the outrageous, ridiculous, exclusive, and narrow claims about himself that he insists that he is God alone and he is to be worshipped and no one else. God makes numerous claims throughout the Bible that there are many religious systems but they don't even attempt to rival who he is. And when God claims his sovereignty, he's pointing to himself as the ultimate source of all power, all authority, and everything that exists. Go back and look at those words that we looked at a few moments together. And it affirms some things about God as the sovereign God. He made us. He sustains us. He rescues us. Look at verse 8. He says, remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. That's a great challenge to us, isn't it? Look at that. He says in verse 9. He says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Now look at verse 10. I make known from the end, from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. That is the sovereign God. Now, the issue for us today is, is how, do, how do we respond to the sovereignty of God, what we learn about God? Well, I think they're just a, a great affirmation and then some practical applications. First of all, God alone is sovereign. He is God. There is no other and there's none like God. That's what the Bible says about him. That and many other things. Let me just tell you in a capsule what I think the Bible says about God being God alone and God being sovereign. The Bible says he is before all things, that all things hold together in him. He was there before the mountains were born. He, he brought forth the earth. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and he alone is immortal. He created all things, both in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. He upholds all things, sustaining everything, holding it together by his word. He is above all things. 
specifically so that people the world over will know that He is God. He knows all things. He is not a limited God, but He knows everything completely even before it happens. He can do all things. Nothing is too difficult for Him. Nothing is impossible with Him. He accomplishes all things. That's to say, He orchestrates and determines what is going to take place, and then He sees it through. And whatever He plans in this world, it happens. He rules over all things. And that's what sovereignty is really all about. Because all strength and power are in his hands. He is the immortal king. And he is in control of all things. You know, whenever the economy goes sour, or whenever earthly kings or or leaders rage out of control, when the world itself seems to be out of control, God is still in control. When Satan messes with your life, God is still in control. How do we define that word sovereign? Well, you look in Webster's Dictionary, and several meanings are there. Uh, First of all, it means above or superior to all others. Secondly, it means supreme in power, rank, or authority. And, And thirdly, it means independent of all others. Now, that's what God really is. If someone is sovereign in an organization, then he or she is the boss. Uh, some of you might watch the, the show, television show, Undercover Boss, where the guy that actually uh, owns a company uh, takes on a different identity and goes underground within that organization to learn and hear from the people who, do, who directly report to him or to her what's going on in that organization. Well, God is boss, but he's not the undercover boss. He is the God who stands before us and who wants us to see Him and to know Him as He is, that He is indeed the sovereign God and that He is the boss and that He claims to be the King, both of the universe and of everything that we see. So with that in mind, there are then two great realities about God's uh, sovereignty. First of all, we need to understand that God is in control. Uh, Things are not out of control in this world. They might seem to be in our heart and in our mind and in our eyes. But no matter what is going on in our world or in the world, God is in control. So when a family member is in ICU or when we face a difficult time with a child or when the economy is in a mess or even when we're at war, God is in control. So we always need to remember that nothing can come into our life that God does not either plan or permit. He is sovereign, and He does what He needs to do. The second thing to affirm in God's sovereignty is, is not only is He in control, but God has no equal. Who else are you going to turn to? God has no equal. Let me just share some words of Scripture with you. And Isaiah 46, 5 says, To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? In Isaiah 46, 9, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. 
You know what God says? I will not yield my glory to another. And then Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 7. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people. Yes, let him foretell what will come. You see, we are reminded over and over and over again that God has no equal. He is sovereign, and He is complete in Himself. I think sometimes later on this year, probably late summer, both both parties, major parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, will meet to name their nominee for the presidential election coming up in November. And I think that it's always happened that in either or both parties, a time for nominating from states, you know, uh, who's going to be uh, their chosen uh, representative or their what, whatever the delegates have selected as who is going to be their nominee for president. Somebody invariably wants to take to the microphone and expound upon the greatness of his or her state. And they usually do it by saying something like, from the sovereign state of, and they go like to Texas or wherever, you know. They say, from the sovereign state of Mississippi. And then they go on to cast their ballots. And every time that happens, I literally stand up and I say, no, 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 you're wrong for two reasons. Number one, we are the United States of America. No state stands alone. And number two, no one is sovereign but God. Now, that's in a nutshell the sovereignty of God. He is God. There is no other. There is no equal. He is in control. Now, the question is then, how do we respond to this God? And the bottom line is simply our sovereign God demands that we respond in three ways. First of all, we need to confess that He is the sovereign God. He is the sovereign God whether you or I confess it or not. But it is so important, so critical for our life, both here and in the world to come, that we confess that God is sovereign. See, for the non-believer and for the believer, there, there are some applications and some significant meanings for that. You know, if, if for both of us it means absolute surrender of all that you are and all that you have, both for the unbeliever and for the believer. If you're an unbeliever, then what you need to surrender to God is you need to surrender to God your life. You need to surrender to Him everything that you are. You need to repent of your sin and the self-centeredness of your pride, and you need to confess those sins, and you need to allow God to come into your life and to be uh, uh, both your Savior and your Lord through Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 43, God says, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. See, there's a profound implication that He is Redeemer, Savior, Lord, and God, all in one, revealed in Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted in Him as the sovereign God, then you need to, to cross over that line of faith and come to the point where you will acknowledge total control of God in your life over everything. Now, for the believer, it has implications as well. 
It means absolute surrender for what you once thought was yours. What does that mean? That means an absolute total surrender of your time, your money, your talents, your career, your interest. All of that you must give over to God. It means that you turn your ideas, your plans, your future, your dreams, and your abilities over to God. They are no longer yours, but they are His. And the reason that that's so profound and so important is that when we make an absolute, total surrender of all that we are to God, then we have a certain sense of peace that comes into our life. That we know that no matter what happens in us and to us and around us, that this God who loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sins, that He is going to take care of us and He's going to sustain us. He's going to be there for us. He's not going to allow anything to come into our life that He hasn't either planned or permitted. And so I want to ask you today, is there anything in your life that you have not submitted to the sovereign Lord God? A challenging question is this. Does God hold the same place in your heart and in your life that he holds in heaven and in the universe? That's a profound question, isn't it? Does God hold the same place in your heart and in your life that he holds in heaven and in the universe? Is there any barrier between you and God? Is there any area of your life that you're holding back? See, God wants all that you are surrendered to him. And the reason for it is, is because he's the sovereign God, he's the boss, he's the king, and he wants to have absolute control over everything in our life. He knows how to manage it. We don't. Okay? Now, the second thing that we need to do in response is this. We need to believe, and this is why you have to surrender and commit everything to him up front. That's the first thing. Then we need to believe that everything that comes into your life is allowed or designed by a good God who will use it. For your benefit. Now that's tough, isn't it? That's tough. That's really where we get down to living everyday life. And going through the valleys and going through the fires and going through the rivers and everything that we experience. We have to believe that it is all allowed or designed by a good God who will use it for our benefit. You see, because God is sovereign, then everything that happens is either planned or permitted by God. And because God is sovereign, he has the power and wisdom to use all the circumstances in our life, both to glorify him and to do good in our life. That's why we cherish Romans 8:28 so much. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We believe that, don't we? When you go look that up and underline it, read the next verse in verse 29, because he goes on to tell us that the reason for that is so that we can be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
But the bottom line of that promise there is that God promises to take everything that happens in our life, that He allows to happen, or that He plans to happen in our life, and He works it for our good. How do we know that? Well, He says it there in Romans 8, 28, and 29, but He also says it in places like Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. See, God wants to, to bless us. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to know that that is His plan for our life. And we have to learn to trust in that. And then the third thing we have to do is this. We need to worship God with awe and wonder. You know, if He is a sovereign God, and everything that He affirms about Himself in the Bible, and He is, then that, that deserves a, a response from us. There is no other God. There is no equal to God. I mean, look at everything around you that He has created and you see His handiwork. Look at all that He has done and orchestrated in in your life. Look at everything that He has done from the beginning of recorded time up until now and all the things that He says are yet to take place. Only this one true sovereign God could have the wisdom and the strength and the power and the love to bring about all those things. In the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, as Paul is into the depth of his theology about God, he writes these words in verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. You see, Paul is getting into the very heart of his theology about God and who God is and his relationship with him. And what does Paul do? He just burst out in a doxology of praise and worship to God. He responds with the wonder and awe of worship. And that's what is called for in our life, not just in our corporate setting of worship, such as Sunday morning, and not just really in our, in our private times of worship. And when we have our own devotion time and our own study time. But I think it permeates every aspect of our life. That if God is sovereign and we believe that He and He alone is sovereign and that everything that He allows to come into our life is for our good, then we need to worship Him and adore Him and praise and wonder and awe. Now, there are all kind of ridiculous news that comes out, at least in my opinion, ridiculous news that comes out in the, in the paper. And sometimes that gets the, the greater headlines than the other good things and sensible things that happen. But I read not too long ago about a man in Illinois who the courts have allowed to legally change his name to In God We Trust. His official first name now is In God, and his last name is We Trust. He's an amateur artist, and he says he looks forward to signing his art with his new name. Well, he doesn't need to change his name to sign his artwork by saying, In God We Trust. But to me, it's it's another display of the self-centeredness and the arrogance of this culture. That there would be some who would dare to take on the name of God. Let us be reminded today that there is only one true God. And He is the sovereign God. He is the God who has created. He is the God who continues to hold everything in order. He is the God who redeems. 
He is the God who plans good for your life. He is the God who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the God who takes all things that take place, and He molds them and He shapes them for His purpose. And in God and in God alone are we to trust, because He is sovereign. So the challenge for us as we begin to look at these traits of God and to understand that God is sovereign is simply to come to grips with this. Have I committed everything that I am and everything that I have to the sovereignty of God? That's your challenge for today as God speaks to us through His Word. Father, we bow before You today and we acknowledge that You are complete within Yourself. You are indeed the sovereign God. There is no equal to you in all the world. And so we come and we bow before you and we humbly commit ourselves to you as the sovereign Lord God. We ask for eyes of faith to be able to see you as the sovereign God. We ask for a heart of faith that we will be able to accept you as the sovereign God. And we pray to have a will. That will allow us to commit all that we are, all that we have, to your sovereignty so that you can work about your perfect plan in our life. Father, I pray that we, your people, will be able to do that in response to your love and your grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.